If you could turn your Bibles to the book of Mark, and I was asked by my lovely wife, I wasn't off for two weeks, I was just not in the pulpit for two weeks, and she asked me, well, how, how do you feel, and it's like, I'm nervous, I took two weeks off of Sunday from the pulpit, and so uh, it's interesting, you get in this mode of, of preaching and sharing the word, and then you take a little bit of time of refreshment. And we just want to say thank you for allowing us to do that at moments. Churches do have lead pastors and they have pastors, but church is not all about the pastor. Although I like it to be all about the pastor. <laughs> so I have to admit that to you. But it's not all, so it's good for us to go away and it's good for others to, to preach from the pulpit uh, and not just me all the time and, and I don't have a problem some people ask me well aren't you afraid somebody will take your place no not really um, and I'll tell you why it's because we want the best of the best to bring the word of God whether it's on Wednesday night or Sunday night and it's not always the pastor that does that and so I'm thankful for Brother Greg and Brother Calvin for bringing the words the last two weeks uh, while uh, we got to uh, do some other things as a family. So just thank you for that. Today is Palm Sunday, but I really felt like it was necessary, and, and tomorrow or next Sunday we'll take a break and look at re uh, the resurrection but I wanted to look at John the Baptist this morning, and the title of the sermon is Modern Day John the Baptist. And I really think that this message has the opportunity and the potential by the grace of God to really challenge us in our day today is how we are to stand as modern day John the Baptist, and are we even called to be modern day John the Baptist? And you see, why I feel this is appropriate on Palm Sunday is because I think that we often get things mixed up, just like the disciples. Things haven't really changed. It's like just like the disciples thought Jesus was coming for his rule and to his reign to be on this earth. At that moment, it wasn't what God intended. And I think oftentimes that we think that God is going to usher in a human kingdom that is going to come and bring a utopia situation, and it will never happen. Never. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, on this earth, set up my kingdom. And we wholeheartedly believe in, in how the Lord told His disciples to pray. Uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that mean? His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means the kingdom rule within our lives, within our hearts. That God is ruling and reigning in us. And that affects, hopefully, all of society. But until He comes... Again, there will be no earthly, heavenly kingdom. And we have to come to this place, just like the disciples uh, at that time had to come to this place. Oh, we didn't get it. But oh, this is so much better. This is so much better. And so we're going to dwell in this and we're going to look at this in this this morning. But first, uh, point number one, we have three points this morning is uh, who is John the Baptist? 
And I promise you I will not be able to do it justice enough, but I'm going to hit a little bit on who John is. Point number two is John used to be a joy to listen to. And I'm going I'm to expound on that. And then the third will be, um, as the title, we are to be the modern day John the Baptist that we live in. So let's pray together, then we'll read the scripture together. Father, we admit this morning that without the indwelling of your Spirit, which Christ you promised you would sin after you, send after you left. And boy, did you ever. That we are able to understand Scripture, that we are able to listen and able to see. But Lord, we also realize that, that there are times in our lives and within all of us and within our world that we close our eyes. We shut our ears and our hearts do not understand. But Lord, I pray for this moment, for this time, that you would allow us to see you would allow us to hear. You would allow us to understand so that we may turn back to you. Our hearts long for you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we do pray the Father's will would be done today on earth as it is in heaven. And please give us what we need today. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's read the scripture together and then as is very as what we do and then we'll break it down. It says in verse 14 of chapter 6, Mark. It says, And King Herod heard of it. Jesus had been doing so many miracles, which is where we left off four weeks ago. I know it's been a long time, but four weeks ago. That all he was doing went out and everybody was hearing about it. And King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known, Jesus's. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying he is Elijah. And others were saying he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John whom I have beheaded has risen. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had, gr had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic, a strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias herself uh, came in and danced... She pleased Herod and his dinner guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry 
which is interesting, to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once, now, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guest, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and a girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. So that's the scripture that we're going to be focusing on this morning. Before we get into the ins and outs of going through Scripture, almost verse by verse, I want you to know who John the Baptist is. And some of you probably have heard many messages about him. And this message is not going to be anything new. But there are a few things that you may have forgotten. We know that John the Baptist was born to unlikely parents. They were old, and isn't it just like God to show up when things seem impossible? God speaks to his dad. John, while he's attending in the temple, an angel shows up and says, you're going to have a son. And John was, he just really was dumbfounded, and and he said, you're going to call this child John. And he didn't really believe, which is opposite of what we see just a few moments later by Mary, He didn't believe, and so the angel said, okay, I'm going to shut your mouth for the moment until it is fulfilled, and we'll see that. But he was also, his parents were from the line of Aaron. And so we see that, and then we also know that John was filled with the Spirit in the womb. Remember when Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house, the baby within Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. Why? Because she heard, he heard the mother of the Savior. So there was this thing going on within the womb that was quite remarkable. We also know that John took the Nazarene pledge, and what do we mean by that? Is that he didn't drink wine and he let his hair grow really long and He went into the desert and the wilderness and was undefiled and purified from the culture, which is quite interesting. We also know that John was also a cousin with Jesus. And so they were relatives, and so there's all these things going on. And we're revisiting this because it's so important. And we know that he lived in the desert before his public ministry started. And this is how he got his name, John the Baptist. How? Because he baptized people for the purification of sin, which is something we don't really see anywhere in the Bible. We know the Essenes probably, they they did baptism the same way as a ritual, purifying to wash away sins. But here comes this John. And let's go to Mark chapter 1. And we've already had a message on it, so I won't go in depth, but I want to read it just to help us as we navigate through scripture this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. 
The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What a sermon for Palm Sunday. Ushering in the King. Ushering in the Savior. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair. This is important. And wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts and wild honey. Mm-hmm-hmm. That's a breakfast of champions right there. And he was preaching and saying, after me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the throng of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, John that we're going to talk about this morning was a forerunner of Christ. And so no wonder why this figure that stood in the wilderness with long hair, creepy looking guy with camel hair, stood and called people to repentance and to baptism. And yet, we see the story as it goes. This is John's fate is recalled, which is the heading in my Bible. And when King Herod heard all that Jesus was doing, he was sure that this one that he had beheaded had risen from the dead. He was actually convinced of this. So they, he was saying that this has to be, but people were saying, no, he is Elijah. Now the question would have to be, why were people calling Jesus Elijah? And the reason is, is because they knew that before the day of the Lord, there was one who was going to come in power, and he was going to be a forerunner before the actual king showed up. You see, let me say this very clearly. Just because people are familiar with Jesus doesn't mean they know Jesus. You see, Jesus is there and they know all about him. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the power at work of him. But they just have no clue. And that's why we're in the book of Mark right now is because we need to know who is this Jesus that we claim to exalt. He's a confusing Jesus, isn't he? But then Herod, when he heard of it, he was convinced that this was John the Baptist. He was convinced he had had to be. And so it's so interesting that Elijah and John the Baptist right here are mixed together. But who does Jesus say that John is? Go to Matthew chapter 11. Somebody already stole my thunder and said Elijah. <laughs> Let's go home. <laughs> he just made it really easy. <laughs> All right, Matthew 11, verse 11 through 14. Who does Jesus say John was? Truly I say to you, among those born of women, women, there has not arisen anyone greater 
than John the Baptist. So Jesus is saying there's no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So here's what I want to tell you this morning. I don't care how you feel this morning. If you have entered the kingdom of God by the way of Christ, we are greater than John the Baptist. I don't say it, he says it. Because me and you were least. I'll just be honest with you. Some of us think we're something, but really until you realize you're nothing, you're not quite there yet. But from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John... And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah. This is the Son of God, God himself, speaking to us, saying John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And uh, I was reading some commentary and I was amazed at this moment as they say, listen, John was the last forerunner per se before Christ. Why do we say that? Because why? It says it right here, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it talks about um, the violent men have taken it by force. But it says this in verse 13. For all the prophets in law prophesied until John. Why? Because something is shifting in our era in human history and that shift is that no longer are we going to be under the law of the prophets. We are going to be under a new covenant. What is that new covenant? Is knowing Christ Jesus and in Him alone we are accepted in the kingdom. And as I thought about that this morning, I am saved into good works. My works don't save me. I'm saved into good works, which is so biblical. So we don't take the cause here, the cornerstone that that we believe it's faith alone, but that doesn't mean that we live a life unto ourselves. No, we live a life unto Christ Jesus. We are dead to our old life. That's what it is to be born again. We're being sanctified. But listen, in Malachi 4, 5, so even the Jews, they knew that that Elijah had to come back, but they just, they were blind to it. And thank God we have scripture. But Malachi 4, verse 5 says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. See, we don't look at it like this, but Jesus Christ showing up is a great and terrible day all at the same time. How does Scripture point to this? It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I didn't come into this world to condemn the world. But it goes on to say the world's already condemned. Why are they already condemned? Because they don't believe in me. But isn't it interesting, and I hate to, this is where I get preachy, and so I won't get too preachy, but people stop and say, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Come on, folks, the world is already condemned. 
That's why he is a savior. You see, in Luke 1.17, just in case we need this to be understood, is that John is called a forerunner before Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah. And that's from Luke chapter 1, verse 17. So it's come. Everything that needed to happen for Jesus to show up has happened. And so here we are. I want to make sure I don't steal it from later, but I probably will. I'll wait just for a moment before we get into a few things. But let's go back to Mark chapter 6. And it's point number two, which is really quick. Point number one. That is a miracle. <laughs> so two or three are going to bite us. Guaranteed. One was good. But 17, it goes on to say this, and we've already read it, but I want to recount it and repeat it. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. Because John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And I was asking myself this week, like why, and I think this is so, uh, so relevant for today, why in the world was John allowed to be in Herod's presence? I think it's a question we have to ask this morning. Because apparently uh, John was speaking truth. And not only that, it says in other scripture that John would not only call him to account for taking his brother's wife, but also for the evil things he had done. And so it's perplexing, but yet Herod, it says later that he liked to hear him and he was perplexed when John spoke and he used to enjoy listening to him. And can I say this this morning, that some of you are here this morning from an intellectual point of view, and you love to hear things that make your mind go, wow. But there will be one day when your mind hears something that you do not like. And you are confronted with Jesus himself. And you have a choice to make. You see, and Herod, the only where that Herod's name was used with king is right here in Mark. But Matthew and Luke, they say uh, Herod the Tertriarch. Because he was not a true king. He never came up to be a true king. But I, I, I like it because Jesus trumps all kings. And all rulers and authorities and powers, whether on this earth or in the heavens. Jesus is above them all. But I asked that question, and, and so I kind of was thinking, is like there's two folds going here, that, that Herod was a smart, uh, evil man. He knew he better keep John close to his side for many reasons. One is political. Why do I say political? Is because of this. Is because he had kingly aspirations. And you look at John. Who was following John that day? 
Who is coming to be baptized? Everyone. All the Jews were coming. Even the Sadducees and the Pharisees who we love to kick around. They were coming to be baptized. So much so when John looked up while he's baptized, what, what are you doing here, you brood of vipers? So I can imagine that, that, that Herod saw, hey, I need to keep this hairy, locust-eaten, honey, fruit of a guy. I need to keep him by my side. This is good for me politically. Also morally. I do think that in Herod's heart, just like all of us, is that we do like truth. And we need to hear truth. You see, even the world today, as much as they hate truth, is that they still need to hear truth. And I think deep down inside, Herod was perplexed and wanted to hear truth and, and longed for it. And I want you to know that although there will be a portion of the world that, that shuns you because of truth, there is also a portion of the world that is longing to hear moral clarity. But listen, we are more than just moral clarificus, whatever that means. We are more than that. You see... The better way to get power, and we all know this to be true, is to pull people with influence within your circle. When you do that, then you begin to be able to do things that maybe you couldn't do in the first place. Because now you've got power. You walk up, and you see this happen all the time. You see people in school, we call them, I won't, what do, anyway, teacher's pets. That's the nice name. And they get up to leadership and they begin to cozy up and hmm, there's power. Wonder-working power in the man. <laughs> See, I'm going to sing. Anyway, I guess these guys got me singing from the last couple weeks. But here's something we see different. Is John did not compromise. Although John had a voice and a seat at the rulership, he still spoke truth. You see, although it was a convenient relationship for Herod, John did not get allured by power, influence, or riches. And I will tell you this, that absolute power absolutely corrupts. We've heard that, right? And unless you're not careful, you will and can be corrupted. You see, right now, it's not so convenient to rub shoulders with people that speak truth. I think about convenient relationships in the Bible. Can I point a few out to you? What about Egypt? Joseph came and, 
and called Pharaoh. Uh, he actually allowed Pharaoh to go way bigger and deeper than it ever had imagined because of his wisdom which came from God. Joseph had favor within Pharaoh and he was the second in charge, but it did not taint Joseph. But what happened after Joseph died? What happened? They continued. Jews have always been a blessing to the nations. It was convenient for Egypt to allow the Jews to flourish in Egypt, right? Then what happened? Pharaoh looked out and they forgot Joseph and said, Whoa! These people are way more powerful than we ever imagined. If we don't put them into slavery, they're going to overtake us. And what did they do? They brought Egypt into slavery. It was a convenient relationship. I think of another one. I think of Daniel. Another convenient relationship. Somebody that spoke truth into the powers to be. And yet, there were these that were just waiting, and we're going to talk about this strategic day. They were just waiting to find Daniel to mess up. And what did they do? They made an edict and said, look, there's Daniel, what he's doing. What did they do? They threw him in a lion's den. He no longer was convenient. You see... As long as the church, as long as we serve the purpose of the world, we will be good. But if we become too much, you better watch out. But let's look at John's relationship and his relationship with Herod. And I have to say this again because it's in my nose and it's what was on my heart. He was not like many Christians today, seduced by riches, prominence, power, and popularity. He stuck to the truth and his calling as a person who was preparing the way of the Lord. He spoke truth although one day it would cost him dearly. And so we see this in the scripture, right? Is that in 19, we see Herodias, a grudge against him. And she wanted to put him to death, but she could not do so. Why? Because Herod protected John. But yet John was a, um, was a force to be reckoned with because he was going to ruin this marriage if Herodias did not shut this man up. And so we see that he was perplexed and enjoyed listening to him. And there's more that I have here, but I want to say what is a grudge? Is a grudge is a resent to resent someone enough to take action against. A grudge is a weird thing. That is why if you have bitterness or a grudge towards a brother or a sister in Christ, you need to make it right. And Jesus says this, and I, I guess I have to say this, is like, is this, if you don't forgive others, your father won't forgive you. That's pretty harsh words. You see, so it matters 
grudges and bitterness. Well, she had one towards John. And and I guess I could say rightfully so from human standards because she was going to ruin everything. And there was a strategic day that came up. And her daughter, and I can just imagine them just in the story that they were just waiting for this moment to, to do with what they wanted to do with John the Baptist. And they did. Herodias, which was actually his niece, which makes it even sicker anyway, she dances before the people. And you see, um, poor, King, poor Herod at this moment, he's stuck. He's throwing a birthday party. All the rulers are coming. All the powerful from Galilee have shown up. And then he says this really ignorant statement that I don't think he realizes. I think he had a power trip, actually. He said, I will give you that dance, please. Me and everyone else, I will give you up to half the kingdom. He made an oath in front of all the people. And what did the daughter do? She ran away to her mother and said, what should I ask for? And what did the, the mother probably was actually behind door number one. Go and ask for John's head. Do it quickly. And what does she do? Like all the book of Mark, it, it uses the word immediately and, and quick and different things. It's like she went quickly, and I think she did this because he might change his mind, but because of all the people around him, he could not change his mind. He would lose face. And what did they do? They went and took John from prison, and he forced he commanded that executioner to go immediately take his head put it on a platter and they brought it back and as I begin to think of different things in this world today and the powers to be oh that strategic day that I can catch as many as possible and destroy as many lives as possible. I want you to know the kingdoms of this world are not of God. They can be influenced by God, so please do not get me wrong. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, that we are to influence government, and, and when we are at the voting box, we are to use our conscience and to have a biblical worldview. And you know that takes me a lot to say that. But Jesus says this about John in Matthew 17, verses 10 through 12. You don't have to change, go there, just write it down and you can look at it later. But it says, and his disciples asked him, and this kind of goes back to point number one, but he says, why then do the scribes say, Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered the disciples and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah had already come, came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So you look at this story and you might think, man, this is really unjust of what happened to John the Baptist. But I want you to know the world will do 
with us whatever they wish. So I want to challenge us this morning with point number three. Is we are to be modern day John the Baptist. You see, and the only way you and I can be modern-day John the Baptist is if we have embraced the gospel. It goes back to that song that we already sung, Is He Worthy? You see, what I want to challenge us all with this morning is is this very truth, and it's been kind of anomaly, is that, that in the 60s, man, the 60s were, I think, were way worse than today, but that's to be argued with. I didn't live then. But yet God brought mighty revival, and we saw mighty influence from the church in the 80s and the 90s, like never in at least American history, or really history in the world, about how the church influenced all things. But I have to say this, revival does not trickle down from a political system. Instead, revived hearts will be the ones who affect society from the bottom up. You see, it was popular to say Our authority reflected our society when things were going well. I heard it all the time. Society reflects its leadership, but oh, that's for the Middle East. Oh, that's for that other country. But yet, we find ourselves in a society, in a country where our government is rogue. It didn't start... How many years? Two years ago. It didn't start four years ago. How old is this earth? It's like it started from the fall. And so you you wonder why things are so bad. It's because our leadership is reflecting our culture. So what are we to do about it? What are we to do about it? You see, and this is why I'm very guarded on the, in the pulpit, and I think you guys have heard me. We are, not going to, uh, we are not going to push a political party from the pulpit. We can't do it. We will be wrong every time. It doesn't mean that your conscience cannot be saying, I need to vote this way and that way. And I would say, and I'm going to come back to it, is the way you vote and the way you think should all be in a worldview of the Bible and the gospel. Our gospel that we embrace should be affecting our politics. Period. But you see, and I'll revisit this, unlike John the Baptist, the church got drunk, so to speak, with the world. Intoxication has taken place. And now we're not even welcomed 
with open arms anywhere in the public sphere. Am I wrong or am I right? Somehow, and I don't know how, some will blame the church. I'm not one to blame the church. Because why? Jesus is the head of the church. He is in control. But somehow a strategic day has taken place in the United States of America. So, what are we to do? You see, because just like John, and I have to say this again, or just like Herod, he loved to hear because he did recognize this might be a key to, this might be an answer to that question, is that um, uh, Herod recognized that John was what? A righteous and holy man. So I think the challenge for us today, are we reflecting holiness? Are we reflecting righteousness? Or are we reflecting the world? You see, because we have to realize that evangelism, part of evangelism is a holy life. Is a righteous life. And so that we have to understand that the world is longing for truth and people that will stand up for truth. Just like John did, but listen, if you don't know Jesus or you've grown estranged to Jesus in your relationship, you have no, nothing to stand on. Your foundation has crumbled. So maybe that's the answer. We need to know Jesus and to walk with Him. So my question would be before we end this day as I just made it really heavy and I'm really sorry. But that's why we do church, guys. And, and, I, and I could go on and on about this, but sometimes we think church is meant for, for the playground. No, church is meant to be encouraged, equipped, and to, to move forward. That's what church is for. It's not about all the hoopla. We meet together, encourage one another, listen, 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 listen. Jesus is worthy. If you are a disciple of Christ, He is with you until the end of the what? Age. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you if you know Him. That's why I think John was able to stand in the midst of a crazy and corrupt man because he knew. He has called all of us as, as His children to go and make disciples. And a key word here is share. Share the gospel. You can't share something that you have not experienced. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? And I will admit to you that I am challenged just as you are. 
When's the last time I shared my faith with somebody outside of the church? Now, you, you guys get to hear me every week. I could chalk that off, say, okay, I shared. But what about the unbeliever? What about those that are longing to hear truth? Longing to be set free from their sin, and we have the truth, the only truth that can set people free. You see, we often think that the greater works that Christ has called us to do is miracles and signs and wonders. But the greatest work of all and the greatest news of all is to take the good news to others and that they can be transformed. They too can be children of God, just like you and I. That is a miracle. That is a great work. So we are to speak and live out the truth in the Bible. Let, let's look to John as an example. He did not even love his own life even when faced with death. And if you don't mind me saying this real quick, I see something within the Christian world and we saw this as we were coming off the mission field that people love to get together and do Bible studies. They love to get together and hear good sermons. They just love it, love it, love it, love it. And just enter, it's an intellectual exercise. Because it makes the heart feel good. It makes the mind... But then you begin to saw an anomaly happen. Children began to turn to life of homosexuality. Addictions begin to take place and you saw really faithful Christians all of a sudden change their whole worldview of the Bible saying if God is love then he wouldn't condemn my own children. But I want you to know that God has a standard and we live by the standard that God has placed not by what man has placed. And so what we have to do is we have to know this Jesus that when we know Him, we can share this stuff without shame, without any timidity and thinking, who will hate me? And I will tell you, I am hated by many just because I show up in a room and I have said nothing. Why? Because I believe the Bible. And I'm not alone. You are with me. I hate to burst your bubble, but you are with me. But I want you to know this, that how we can be John the Baptist in our world today and stand up for, for righteous truth, not for political truth, for righteous truth, is to know Him. And with that, all of us are called into our own spheres of influence. So can you imagine me going into Anna Lee and, and Kiri's job and say, hey, I'm here, I'm going to do your job. Oh, wait, 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 Kiri, you did your job wrong today. You would laugh at me, wouldn't you? You would. Or Mark and Michelle going out and, and proclaiming that abortion is wrong.
and being consistent, or you guys, Mania and Dennis, you, your husband, you can't be with him. I don't mean to touch a sore spot. But he's worthy, isn't it? You do something that I cannot do. And you would probably shake your head, but it's true. God didn't place me in your shoes. Every one of us has spheres of influence that we need to speak up for truth. I guess I just want to keep saying this, is that we need to know Jesus. That's all I can give you this morning. That's it. I remember before I took this pastorate, oh, little did I know that Jesus was really speaking to me. He said, son, he didn't say son, I'll add son. Because I am his son. Am I enough? Am I enough? I, would be, I, I remember saying, well, yeah, of course, you're worthy, you're enough. And then I jump into the fray and then I begin to wonder, is Jesus really enough? I have nothing to offer. Nothing. And then he reminds me today, just like he reminded me eight years ago or whatever it was, I am enough. And I want to call you guys to something this morning is stop being somebody that you are not and just be who God has called you to be. And that is to know his son. And however that influences, whatever influences you have, you go out and you speak truth. And because you speak truth one day, you will suffer for it. That's okay. Our Savior suffered on a cross so that we could be set free and set others free. If the worship team would come. So what I want to do this morning as we end in, in worship, I believe any sermon, even a sermon that, I believe any sermon that's spoken, especially from the Word of God, that there are, demands a response. And what I would like to ask us this morning in our areas of response is what does Jesus want me to do with the word I heard today? And that's scary, isn't it? Because there's responsibility with what we hear. So what I would like us to do as we stand together, if you'd stand with me, we're just going to ask God for a, a major grace to take place in our lives and that He would fill us with the Holy Spirit so much so that we would see that He is enough and He's worthy and when we begin to share. You know, people may not fall at our feet and that's okay. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be faithful and true like our Master. And to proclaim. So as we pray, and then we're going to, to sing the last song together, which I think is so appropriate. Let's pray together. Jesus, we cry out to you this morning. 
Lord, I think we can all testify before you and thank you that you already know our hearts this morning that there are days that I've been on fire for you and there are days that there's barely a spark left. But Lord, you keep calling us up. You keep calling us when we fall down to get back up and to to wipe ourselves up and come to you and come to the cross and be cleansed by the blood, the free blood that was shed for us that we can be clean again, Lord, and walk in fellowship with you. And that's what we want to do this morning, Lord. We want to wash our filthy and dirty garments in your blood, Jesus. And that miraculous thing that the Scripture promises us, that our filthy rags would be clean, would be white as snow. Your your crimson blood washes us. And so, Lord, I pray, I I can't pray for the worldwide church as much as I can pray for Cornerstone Church right now at this moment in our history. Would you cleanse us from our unrighteousness as a people group? And will you forgive us? We've messed this up. And Father, we just repent and we turn our eyes back to You and say, Lord, we cannot do this life of following You on our own. We need You to empower us by Your Holy Spirit to walk a life out in faith. And Lord, that same Spirit that was on John, that same Spirit that was on Your Son, is on us. You promised us, you promised us the Spirit that He would not only comfort us, but He would lead us into all truth. And it said that John came to baptize with water, but you came to baptize with the Holy Spirit with fire. So Jesus, burn in us, I pray. Where the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and I would say of your face. Oh Lord, give us holy boldness in the days that we live in. That we would speak the truth of your word at no matter what the cost. And Lord, we can sit here today and say, yeah, I can do that. But then when the war rages, Lord, we want to run. Oh God, would you make us brave? We are your children, and we need you, so come. Revive us from the bottom up, and I pray that somehow us here at Cornerstone Church would not only be influencers in this church, but we would be influencers in our jobs and in the political realms and all these things, Lord, and that we would not become intoxicated by power, but intoxicated by your Spirit. Lord, we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.